Hello, welcome to episode four of On Canvas. I'm Brad Leiby. In this episode, I have a conversation with the owner, operator, clay slinger, and artist, Georgia Leiby. Georgia is my friend and now sister-in-law, and over the years she has been a very good resource, as well as being very inspiring to me. Recently, her ceramics work, and namely her online store, Center Ceramics, has begun to take off in a way that she never quite expected. The name Center Ceramics comes from the idea of centering, obviously, with when you're throwing in the wheel, you center the clay. But, um more like about the kind of like being centered as well like when when I was starting center ceramics I was kind of like at a point in my life where things are really like making sense and we talked about balance like things are really balanced with family and feeling fulfilled in work and life and everything but also the the idea of like concentric forms too and making nesting bowls so it's like a circle inside a circle inside a circle and producing that same form over and over again, which is something that I really enjoy too, just producing the same, the same form, like the production um, element in the studio. I really enjoy that sitting. It's kind of like a meditative thing sometimes sitting down and like throwing the same form over and over so that uh, sometimes I, my hands just kind of know what to do. I don't have to measure. My bowls are, they have to be pretty precise to be able to fit into each other a certain way. Um, so the sizing has to be pretty exact, but I can get into a rhythm sometimes during production that I really don't have to measure, maybe once at the end, um, because my hands just kind of know what to do. So it's that kind of like meditative making in the studio that that's kind of where center comes from. Make sure to watch the video that is going to be released in addition with this, thanks to my older brother, Pat, who is putting the video together. It's going to look a little bit nicer. It's a little higher quality than the, than the past videos we've been doing. Maybe I'm going to have to try to hire him to make more for us, but check out all the links to George's work in the info section below. And most importantly, visit centerceramics.etsy.com as well as provisions for Food 52, Scout Mob, and One King's Lane later in April. My conversation with Georgia takes place a week ago at, uh, at her house, actually. I spent the week in Binghamton working with her, helping her get some of her things ready for uh, being a, the sponsored Etsy artist, which we do talk about in there. And um, so we just sat at the kitchen table and had coffee together and had a conversation after uh, she was taking a break from throwing, so she was really in the midst of everything. I feel like the audio quality is good. It was nice and quiet in there, but one thing is that you will hear my cat, who was also there with us for the week. She has a few things to say in the very beginning. Hope that doesn't bother anybody. <laughs> Listen to the very end of the podcast for a few more technical things, technical things that I have to talk about about the podcast in general and things to come. Right now, let's get into my conversation with Georgia Leiby, owner and operator of Center Ceramics. Georgia, explain to me how, explain to me your your process of being an artist, because I just know, what I know is that you've done a lot of different kinds of art, and I know that art has always been a part of your life. Mm -hmm. So explain to me a little bit about how, even when you were just a really little kid, 
how you got involved in art? I think it was like, it was always kind of my thing. Um, but when I started doing ceramics, which I was probably like 13 or 14, um, it just kind of clicked. It felt like this is, I could just really get absorbed in it. So. Well, did you have, did you have some, did you have artists in your family? Not, not formally. I mean, my dad always drew with us when we were kids and stuff, but in kind of artsy types, like my mom quilted, um, and my dad was a, like a real art appreciator, but not a formally like artists or performers, no. Um, but I think I kind of, like anybody probably, whether it's like music or art or sports even, it's, you know, you kind of know when you have a talent or an interest in something. And that was always my thing. Yeah. Like they say, like the, it's definitely, you have like talented people in the family, mm. even if art isn't exactly what they're doing. Like you picked up on aunt so-and-so's artistic gene yeah. or something. Or music too. Like my sister could play any instrument and that was what she did. Yeah. And art was, was what I was into like drawing and being like the artsy kid in class. So I pursued that and I wasn't super into, I wasn't like a joiner. I was kind of an anti-joiner. So I didn't want to do sports. I didn't want to be performing in front of people like with um, band or an instrument that made me really uncomfortable. So I could kind of be like an outsider and do my own thing and not have to perform or get involved really. I really didn't want to be like involved in sports and things like that. So mm -hmm. I could do art and avoid having to be involved in things, you know? Yeah. I wonder if, if there's something about being an artist being or it being more accepted when you're really young, mm -hmm. having an extreme interest in art, almost a difference between boys and girls at that age. Because I don't think, I don't think, like, I was not discouraged to be an artist when I was that young. But at the same time, it was like, oh, I hear you say that. I'm like, oh, it would have been kind of nice if somebody would have not been trying to make me play baseball right. and not been trying to make me do soccer and like hockey if, or whatever when yeah. my actual interest clearly or maybe it would have been better to get into a drawing class mm -hmm. or something. Well, my parents wanted me to do that. Like, I think for me, it was always a, like a solo pursuit and I could do that again and not like join a team or even I would get myself kicked out of stuff on purpose because I was just really anti, like even, um, Girl Scouts, I just really you didn't want to be, I didn't for like a year, yeah. but I, you know, I didn't want to be involved. So yeah, it was like, it made it okay to do that as a solo pursuit, you know? Right. And again, the not performing, you don't have to be like on the baseball plate. I don't even know what it's like. The, yeah. <laughs> you have to be like performing in front of an audience. Right. You know? But they still encouraged me to do sports and to or join band, you know, try an instrument and everything. It just was not, again, like my thing, you know. I just knew this is not for me. Um, but that's interesting that, that there might be a difference in gender, like what boys are encouraged to do and what's acceptable and what girls mm -hmm. are encouraged to do. Well, yeah, and definitely just the in general, that like anti-joiner idea in a lot of the, the art meetings that I go to where everybody is having to, it's like a room full of art people and they always like, they say, now everybody please move forward. I know that you are not the types of people to move forward and come closer, but 
we're all kind of yeah. in that same boat here. So kind of, yeah, the anti-conformist. But now I am. I, like, I would, yeah. it, as an adult and as, like, an adult student going back to school, I would raise my hand. I would speak in class. I was like, very much a leader. I would get involved. Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't want to as a kid. I was shy. But I got over that, and I think I'm probably toward the other end of the spectrum now. I would sit in the front row at a right. <laughs> at an event, you know. I would raise my hand and speak up and get yeah. involved. Yeah. So that has really changed. Well, you definitely you find a way to enter a world of people that are similar to you, and then you don't feel because still, if you if you had to go be on the pitcher's mound or something, mm -hmm. <clears throat> then we would all be definitely definitely have not learned how to take any of our confidence in art into every single part of the world. But with the art comes so many other things, so many other organizational things and leadership things mm -hmm. and that you definitely do when you are protected by the fact that you're in the art field that you've been practicing at your entire life, then you can be, have some confidence and seem like a little bit more of a conformist. Right. And it, well, I wouldn't definitely be doing this now if I was just sitting alone in a room creating art, you know, you have to yeah. step out and, and be confident and yeah. pursue things in a, in a different way and be a joiner. I am definitely now. So what at the age of 13 then was it? What was the change then? Well, Again, with I think my parents wanted me to be involved in something, and especially because I was, I guess, like an at-risk kid would be the best way to put it, um, was prone to getting in trouble. So they wanted me to be involved in something. And so, again, with a solo pursuit, I could take art classes by myself. Um, so I started taking pottery lessons at um, 171 Cedar, the, the at local. At 13? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. And I just had... Um, individual lessons with this woman, Beth Birdow. So shout out, Beth. What's that? Yeah, shout out <laughs> to Beth. So she was a great teacher, and she really understood me, and um, and I really enjoyed that. And I, yeah, so I started kind of doing that a couple days a week after school. Mm -hmm. So 171 is a place that I also have a connection with because I that's really my only knowledge of ceramics was being the ceramics technician's assistant there, which meant I was just recycling clay and things. But I definitely think that it's good to, I mean, shout out to 171. That is a great resource mm -hmm. for anybody listening to this who has a 13-year-old who might be at risk and you want to get them into something and they're artistic, then 171 is still a great place to just bring anybody who has any kind of interest in trying throwing then that is a great place to do it. They have gotten me to throw things on the wheel there that I am not not a clay person. And they had other yeah. art classes as well. And I know they do performing arts and um, musical you know, classes and dance yeah. classes and things. They um, are a great resource. So I guess that it achieved its goal, or my parents' goal of like having me be involved in something and like not getting in trouble and doing something healthy, you know, mm -hmm. for a kid my age to be doing. And it worked, and I ended up pursuing that. So, so did you, did you, um, you were throwing on the wheel there mm -hmm. at 13. That was the, that was, so you didn't ever go into... We did sculpture and stuff like that too, but I really was interested in the wheel. It's cool, you know, it looks, it looks cool, yeah. and I enjoyed doing it. And 
Well, isn't that a really difficult thing for a 13-year-old? It's not. Even um, little kids can do it. You just have to kind of have a good teacher who, like, puts her hands on your hands. and Yeah. Um, the Patrick Swayze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ghosting. <laughs> um, no, little kids can do it, too. Um, I think you just have to have a good teacher. It can be really frustrating for people because centering is hard. And, it, yeah. you know, it's like it, t- it does take a lot of skill to be good at it. Um, but... I guess I just wanted to be good at it, you know? Right. I thought it would be cool to be good at that because I couldn't, I didn't have a lot of musical inclination. I thought it was always, would be really cool to be able to play guitar, um, but I just couldn't do it. And I yeah. didn't have the patience for it and I would get really frustrated <laughs> with the musical instruments. So, um, and I didn't have a great singing voice, so it wasn't going to be like a cool musician, yeah. but I thought pottery was pretty cool. Yeah, and I, and I guess so. It's it was kind of something that you could see, see yourself getting good at. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the it like it's a little bit more of a gratifying thing, mm-hmm. you know. So did you get? Did you come up with some completed pieces then? And actually, did you like get? I mean, were you in like an art show? Um, I, when I was in high school, I had. By that point, I had, like, finished pieces that were good, and um, I got, like, you know, little local awards in the um, art shows for some of my pottery, Um, which, and again, I think it was just cool because most kids can't do that or that most high schools probably don't include that in their program, Um, and even if they do, you don't have the time to really um, become good enough at it, Um, but I did because I was in the classes after school. So, again, that was kind of my thing. I was, like, mm-hmm. the one who could do that. Um, so, yeah, that was encouraging, too, and gratifying and to get some, like, recognition that I was good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the way that I remember. I remember in, uh, well, in, in high school, I don't think that at my school there was, there were wheels to throw on. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we did a whole lot with clay. And I can remember it, at my middle school, there was one wheel mm-hmm. in the the ceramics room, but that was very much for the teacher yes. to throw his work on. And I, so throwing always seemed to be, as far as, I mean, clay was interesting. What throwing was, like, hard. Throwing well, was very difficult, and you were probably not... There was, like, always just a, a barrier there that you were going to like, have to... Like, this is the teacher, and this is what... And I think... I know who you're talking about. I think I might have had the same middle school teacher. And this guy was pretty impressive. He's, like, a martial arts guy. His knuckles are, like, as big as your head. And he'll throw we can, two pounds we can of... Shout, we can shout him out now. He's kind of point. amazing. Shout out. Um, Mr. Tremaine, Mr. Tremaine, I think Tremaine, but and and that wasn't the place either. He didn't. He wasn't set up to like be teaching kids to throw on the wheel. It was just kind of like watch this awesome thing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this giant guy would throw like an amazing piece. But then it was like, okay, get back to work on your yeah. little sculpture you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, and in high school, yeah, we did have um, wheels and we're set up to do that. And I think that we spent maybe a week or something. I don't remember. We spent some time on that. And I spent more time on it because. I could kind of do it unassisted and focus on that. Um, so I was encouraged to do that. And again, like shout outs for teachers. Joni Windows was her name at the time. I think it's Kehoe, Joni Kehoe mm-hmm. now. Um, and again, like having a really encouraging teacher and feeling like 
that was one of the classes I always went to. Even if I was going to skip the rest of the day, I would try and, you know, make it to my art classes because I had a lot of respect for her and she was encouraging me to pursue that. And, and she would listen and talk to us and she was, she was just a good teacher. So yeah. that I think encouraged me even more. Yeah. So there was kind of a, a period of time there where it seems that you, I could be wrong, but in my perception of it, it seems that you almost kind of stopped doing clay. You almost, you, and you moved on to other art forms. Is that the way that you see it? Um, kind of. Well, for, for a time, like, I went to community college, and I had a really awesome experience there, and so I pursued it there. But then there were a few years after that that I just didn't do anything, um, you know, like, in my early 20s, kind of, and moved around a little bit, and um, I was out of school for a few years, so I didn't have the opportunity or the facilities to do that. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of on and off for a while. But whenever I had the opportunity, I would, yeah, I would kind of come back to the it. facilities of that. We come back to that. That that that's that's really the thing. So I'm saying Georgia started doing a lot more drawing and painting, as mm -hmm. far as what I could tell, and that's mostly because you did, you, ha you you have to have a wheel to throw mm -hmm. on if you're going to do that. A lot easier to pick up a pencil and some paint or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is something that can really hold you back, too, is, as far as, like, this type of art from our blowing glass. You have to have all of this large, expensive equipment that involves, like, you know, kilns and heat and, um, you know, you're going to need a place where you can have, like, wet clay. And there's just a lot of stuff that goes with it. So it's not like painting where you can just have brushes and a canvas and do it anywhere. It's really a production. Yeah. It definitely is. You have to have the facilities to be able to do it. And then not on your own most of the time, you know. It's yeah. not going to be, you're going to need facilities or a community place or a college or a school or yeah. something. That's why that works so well because you have to have a certain amount of work done in order to have a good firing, right? So in a lot of cases, people need to be at the community place because then they can fill up the kiln once a week. And that mm -hmm. kind of... Well, and you're not going to have a kiln at your house if that's, you know, why. You're not just right. going to have that stuff right. at your house on hand unless you're really pursuing that, right. you know. It's not, even if it's like a hobby, you're probably going to be going to an outside facility to do that. So if you don't have access to that, you're just not going to be doing it, you know. And sometimes that's even a struggle now. I think um, my friend Noelle knits and she's really awesome and I think oh that that's a, such a great medium because you can pick it up and put it down easily you don't have to like get all sloppy you can take it on a plane with you you can take it in the car you can do it on the couch watching tv you can do it anywhere and it's lightweight and it you know and it's not messy and you don't need a giant three thousand dollar kiln and you know like it's I think there are some mediums that are way easier to pursue um you don't have to wait for the 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 material to get to the right state for yeah. you to do the next step. It's to like it. <laughs> instant gratification. I love knitting too um, and sewing because it is just instant. Um, you have a product right away mm -hmm. um, instead of like throwing and then trimming and then disc firing and glazing and firing again. You know, it takes like a month. Well, there. I think that there is something about that, though, that really ties into, not that it's entirely separate from painting or drawing even, but when I was talking to 
uh, Seth and Aaron about glass working, mm-hmm. that is one of the main things that I realized was you have to be, you have to love the process with something like this. And I mean, it's not as immediately gratifying, but it's gratifying when you know, right? You know that it, you know that you are you are even just getting things in line so that you can be doing another step while another piece is getting to another step. Like you have to, with something like that, you have to get so in tune with it that I don't see how you could not be just like really kind of loving the process. Yeah. Again, you're not going to pursue this kind of thing if you're not really like committed, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And probably the same thing with glass blowing. And it takes a long time to really be good at it. Right. Um, like I still watch some of my teachers or other people have been doing it for years and I think like, Oh, they make it, they make it look so easy even to me. Um, so it takes a lot of skill and a lot of commitment. Yeah. It's not something you can pick up and put back down unless you're in school. And that's why school is great because it allows you to experiment with different things and, you know, take a class for like four months and then drop it if you're not interested or, you have all those facilities. You have all of the, well, the time to to be doing that if you're in a class to commit to that. So, yeah. Well, I, this is kind of I, I I was like this is me a little bit feeding people and trying to get them to say something that I want them to say. But I feel I felt the same way with with Seth and Aaron and their process that. At some point, is it even to the extent of like you, you? It is just the process. I mean, in order to get good at it, you must not be doing it to get the finished product at all. Yeah, I think. And again, like when I when I was in grad school and really like honing my skills, I didn't keep most of what I threw, um, just to to get good at it. And I enjoy the process, you know, um, even when I do it now and I'm like churning out a hundred bowls that are exactly the same, I really, it's really enjoyable. So what, like, what do you, what do you mean? What are you getting at? Just what I'm getting at is that. Like you have, like you're saying, like you have to really try and get good at it before the product is any good. Or you have and to, So much yeah. of it is just about process. The, no, the, because I, I mean, that people, people love, even think about throwing or glass blowing where the first piece, or any art form, the first pieces you make are probably going to suck. Like there's going right. to be a huge suck factor yeah. <laughs> for like years, you know, with anything, yeah. with painting. Do you keep your, you know, your first paintings yeah, that you no, think? And at the time... Yeah, at the time, it's like the best thing you've ever made. And then later, you'll look back and be like, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. Well, think about people who've thrown their first pot, and it weighs like two pounds, and it's thick, and it's ugly, and they're so Uh proud of it, and they love it. So that's not just about process. It's about, well, well, it is about process, but it's about you enjoy doing that, and you feel really fulfilled, even that you have like this really sucky piece. Yeah. so yeah, I think that's yeah, it is about process, but it's about really enjoying it so much that you want to keep keep doing it over and over again. And then when you're good at it, maybe it's more about outcome, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, for me, and I I don't know, I know some artists who are like this, but I was really able to just try and um, get good at it and not worry about outcome, and I wouldn't keep most of what I threw because I knew that. It could be better. Like right. with each piece or with each series, I would get better. So I thought, 
well, why keep these 10 bowls? Because the next time I approach it, it's going to be at a higher level. And, and during school and school allowed me to do that too. I don't do that so much now because I can't afford to like waste time. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have to enjoy the process because why else, why do it? You know, you don't, you don't really like doing it. Yeah. And it's that, it's that whole, that whole kind of curse that comes with being an artist as you're getting into the groove of things that if you are actually going to become good at your art someday, then your taste has to be like, you know, better than what you can make. Mm -hmm. So that's a thing that ends up being a little bit not gratifying for a lot of things when people start making anything, whatever their art form is initially, that you you like, you know, you've seen things that look really good and you have something in mind that you're trying to work towards and then you have to almost decide that this is very, even though this is very ungratifying, I like the process of it or something yeah, like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that way when you paint? Like you have an idea in your head sometimes and then when you produce it doesn't, you know. Right. Yeah. And with with you our musician friends as well, they, you know, they have heard albums that they like and they have kind of an idea in their head of what they would like to get to. And most of them don't end up being able to get to that point just mm -hmm. because it is not, it is a little bit. It hurts a little bit once you 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 know you've spent another year getting better and then it's still not quite up yeah. to where your tastes are. So you've been doing this since you were thirteen, right? You have gotten to a point now after going to school, trying many different art forms, many different things. Now you have gotten to a point where do you feel do you feel like really kind of. I am achieving something like this is getting much closer yeah. to when I have it in my mind. Yeah. yeah. I can like, if there's something I want to make, I can pretty much make it. Um, the one, <laughs> the one thing, I mean, in my style, I think that was something that I learned too, is that like, um, fascinating or being really loose with stuff, um, and having it be like, I'm really kind of a perfectionist and, um, I was never good at that. People would paint, you know, really loose brush strokes and it would be beautiful and I would try that and I would just fiddle with it too much. And, um, that just wasn't my style. I couldn't do it. I couldn't facet things and just have it look really natural. Um, so I've learned that to just do what I do in the way I do it and not try and emulate someone else's style. Even if I really appreciate and love that my hands are just naturally going to do what they do. Um, even with sculpting, I would always smooth everything out. Even if I wanted, I loved the look of just a really, people would make these really deliberate gestural um, marks. And I don't do that. I just fiddle with stuff and I make it really smooth. And um, so I've learned to just let my hands do what they do in my own style. But yes, to answer your question, I can, if I have an idea of a form that I want to make, I can just do it now. Mm -hmm. um, but I was thinking, when we were talking about this, I was thinking about my daughter, who's going to be four um, in a month, Celie, and she'll draw, because we've been drawing a lot together, um, and then she'll try and draw, and she'll want to draw a face or a person, because she has me draw these paper dolls, and then she'll try and do it, and I think what she has in her head are the the little figures that I've been drawing, and she tries to do it, and she gets really frustrated. <laughs> Yeah. Because I think she's experiencing that of seeing this in her head and then she can't do it. So I don't want her to get 
and maybe this applies to everybody, you know, even if you're an adult, I don't want her to get frustrated and give up on it, you know? Yeah. So how, you know, how do you do that? Exactly. I mean, other than through, because it's a double-edged sword, because I would say that the reason that I continued to work at drawing until I was getting to a point where I was being happy with my drawings was because other people were encouraging mm -hmm. me. And at the same time, you might end up becoming a better artist without people encouraging you. Mm -hmm. You know, like the people who end up being really, really knocking it out of the park are the people who did not get anything that would encourage them to rest, like at any point, <laughs> you know. I don't think that it's, I think that you can also, you know, kind of be clear-headed about it and make a decision that, you know, I know that I've, I know that people have encouraged me and told me that I was pretty good at something, but I do also know that I have a lot more work to do. Yeah. And, but know that I have accomplished something. You have gotten better. Mm -hmm. I think that it's kind of like you hit a brick wall over and over and over again, and then eventually you can break through the brick wall, mm -hmm. you know? And it's unfortunate, though, that, that it really kind of is a brick wall, you know? It really is kind of an uncomfortable thing. Well, how do you know? See, here's the question, too. It's like, how do you know if it's not going to be your thing? Like, Because I did painting for a while in undergrad, and I really started to like that, too. But I think part of me knew that, like, I wasn't amazing at it. Um, and I have friends who, who are, like my friend Nick Breslman, um, another shout out, mm -hmm. um, to another artist, but yeah, he's amazing. And that was his thing. And so when do you get to the point where you're like, I have a vision in my head and I can't achieve it now at the skill level that I'm at, but that I may never be that good. You know, like, how do you know? And, and I've seen some people too, who like think that there's stuff is good and you're just like, you're never going to be good as much as you practice at this. <laughs> like, how, how do you know if it's not, you're never going to be a good painter and just I accept don't. that, you know? I don't know if I agree that there is something like that, that, that you, that you could definitively say that you are not ever going to be good at this thing. I think but that's what it is. But that's like a question of talent versus just learning something. Like, can you just yeah. learn to be a really good potter? but you're not a great artist and you don't have a great artistic vision or aesthetic. Um, but I you've just like learned the too. skills, you know, I guess that's my question is like, I felt like I knew this was my thing and that like, although I enjoyed painting and I, it was okay. And certain people were like, Oh, that's really good. I think I knew that I wasn't ever going to be really great at it. And that it wasn't something that I would really enjoy pursuing either because it was frustrating. Yeah. Well, there, I think that there is definitely a thing there, though, that some people, uh, that, that, I, that, I think that goes back into the loving the process of it. Mm -hmm. That's maybe, the, or there's, an, there's definitely an X factor, I would like to say. I, I think that the talent side of things is definitely kind of an X factor. Mm -hmm. But I do also think that there are people out there who are determinedly working on an art form that they have this other art form that they are much better at that for some reason though even maybe some people would like the challenge of doing something yeah. that they that is not quite coming naturally to well, there's them. always going to be that like acting or something you, you can pursue it and go to school for it and just still never really be and do it for years but it's like here's the thing you're just never going to be good at it it's not yeah. like you're not you don't have that talent or the x factor or whatever yeah what they would say like the cliche acting coach 
you know, or the cliche, the, the art teacher, you know, like that kind of thing almost is, although we definitely, we've been lucky enough to have mm-hmm. art teachers who are actual, actual, really artists, yeah. you know, and they're spending a whole lot of time on their artwork other than being teachers. So it isn't. But that's part of it too. And exclusive. I actually, um, you know, I didn't set out to like be an artist. I went to school for art education and mm-hmm. I was going to be an art teacher. And in that you have to, you know, ceramics might be my thing, but I have to teach Photoshop too. You know, you're not going to be amazing at everything. Um, right. You're just teaching people basic skills, too, you know? It doesn't matter if you're a fantastic painter. You're just teaching kids how to, like, mix colors and, like, the foundations. So, um, but it is impressive when you have a teacher who's really and inspiring, who's really great at their craft. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't set out to be an artist, have my own business. I was going to teach. And then, you know, the economy just really doesn't support that. And I knew a lot of people who were really stressed out and couldn't wait to retire and who were burned out and who were not having a good experience. And I just, I don't know, I felt like it, it wasn't worth it. And there's, you know, no jobs. Um, yeah. And this just kind of happened. And even in grad school, too, that wasn't, it wasn't my, my goal changed during that um, two years, three years. Well, so. let's back up there a little bit and talk about at a certain point, actually, when I met you, you had kind of decided or or a change had happened in your mentality about things that you became a person who was going, was, you know, you, I guess you just, I didn't know you beforehand, so I can't assume too much, but you decided to be a more productive person. Like Mm -hmm. you decided, I think that I remember the example that you always gave was that you had tried to go to community college and you just weren't ready to be a student. Like you weren't really ready to learn and be dedicated to it. And then when I met you, how many years ago was that? I mean, how many years ago? Seven. seven or eight years, yeah. So seven years ago, and in, and it's, actually it seems like it was longer than that. I feel like actually you have done a whole lot of stuff in seven years. Mm-hmm. But break down for us how you go about getting your master's degree. Yeah, well, yeah, I got my undergrad in art ed. So I just, like, I needed my master's to, you know, finish my, for my teaching credential um, and to get certified. Um, so naturally I, you know, went for fine art and concentrated on ceramics. And then, like I said, you know, then the, the process of kind of realizing that the job market wasn't there and that maybe I didn't want to do that anyway. Does that what you mean? Well, but there's also something there that I remember. I remember you kind of saying like that you, the first, for whatever reason, decided to try throwing again, and then you were kind of like, well, now I think that I actually would kind of like to, like, didn't you switch your major? Yeah, I started, well, so I went to school an hour away from where Patrick and I live, um, and I was pregnant when I started, too, so I thought, okay, well, I'll paint, since I wasn't into painting at the end of my undergrad, um, so I thought, well, I'll paint because I can do that from home and like I can stay home with with Celie and paint. And then I just realized that I wasn't happy. Like I kind of hated it and I was stressed out and not happy. And yeah, feeling that frustration of like, I'm just not happy doing this. So 
I just went back to ceramics and it was like, why wasn't I doing this? This is obviously, again, like, this is my thing. I think I thought that it would be convenient to like be able to paint at home. Um, but yeah, in the end I was like, nope, this isn't right. So I think after one semester, I just switched my major to ceramics. Um, and then somewhere in those two years, I kind of just decided like I didn't want to teach and that I had planned to stay home with Seal anyway while she was little. Um, so I just began to kind of pursue it more. And then again, with like people would just encourage me and say, you should have a business, you should sell your work. And I thought, and we've, you know, we were talking about this earlier today. I didn't really think being an artist was ever a thing. Like people would say, well, you should sell your art. And I thought, what, like at a craft fair, like on the street? No. And make like, I'm like, that's not how you make a living, you know? And I thought that sounded ridiculous. And I think I didn't have a ton of faith in myself and in my abilities. I always kind of felt like, well, I suck. Even when people would tell me I was good or I thought, I'm going to go to school and everyone's going to be better than me. Um, so I never really was totally confident in my abilities. Um, but people kept encouraging me and saying, like, no, you should do this thing. And then... I would sell more and more and people were interested and then, you know, at my graduate show too, I sold a ton of work and I got a lot of great feedback and recognition and so that was encouraging too. Um, and yeah, I just kind of thought, well, maybe I can do this. Maybe like selling my work would be a good way to just get a little bit of like extra fun money. Mm -hmm. um, and I still, again, didn't have faith that that could be like a, a source of real income or like a real, just being an artist, I just thought that's not a real thing. Like people can't really just be artists or you have to be really lucky or know people or something. Like you can't make a living being an artist. Um, well, and another boundary there was also the facilities. Right. And if right. you were actually going to do it, then well, what, what are you going to travel back to your, back to your college where yeah. you were throwing and, and I was. continue to use the studio there? Yeah, I was. Um, and again, another... Um, another instance of having a great teacher and a really encouraging person allowed me to use the facilities there for a t for a while. Um, let me borrow a wheel, and I had it in our unfinished dirt floor basement. <laughs> and then uh, we decided to finish, you know, invest a little money and finish our basement, which we largely did. Um, well, besides pouring a concrete floor, we did all the work ourselves mm -hmm. and with friends and family finished our basement and built a studio for me. So I think that was kind of taking a leap too. And again, um, people had faith in me and said like, no, let's do this. Let's build a studio for you. You can pursue this. Um, and I mean, up until very recently, I still just thought like, no, this is, you know, this is just more of like, not a hobby. I mean, I'm more serious than that, but I didn't have faith that it could be a real earner, or that it could be like a legit, like I'm an artist. When people ask me what I do, yeah, I'm an artist. That's mm -hmm. how I make a living. That's what I do. That's how I spend my time. That's what I'm passionate about. Um, so I'm just recently learning that it is a thing. It is possible. And well, I think there's a good way to go about it too. Yeah, because you know we're to we are to talking about the past year. Not even really, maybe like the past year and a half, yeah. not even really quite the past two years. It's no, really yeah. in the past year that everything has, you got, you 
from the way that I saw it, I knew that you guys were working on the basement, working on setting up some facilities for you to be able to throw more and be selling things on Etsy, mm -hmm. basically, was the goal. And then in, in, in one year, the basement got finished, you started throwing, and now things are actually, now you are finding that you were, you're all these years of working at it, even though you weren't really thinking maybe this isn't going to turn into anything. Mm -hmm. Now it actually is turning into something. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I set up my Etsy shop a year and a half ago. Um, and it was just like old kind of stuff that I had thrown at while I was still in grad school. Um, and it started selling and it started getting more and more attention. And um, I started kind of having to produce more. And then just on and on, people, um, retailers, like online retailers, started contacting me through my Etsy shop. Um, and things have just blown up from there. I'm going to have an Etsy feature, the featured shop um, this coming month. I'm working with... Break that down for people who don't know what it is at all. Um, Etsy is a um, online marketplace for handmade and vintage sellers. Um, and you kind of like you have your shop page and you can control it and it's very low cost. Um, like instead of having a website, you're kind of Etsy hosts these sellers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's everything. It's like old vintage stuff or hand clothing um, and then handmade wares. Um, and there are a lot of other websites that are similar to that, like Scout Mob, Fair Goods. Um, that support handmade products and artists and sell their, their work, basically. Or it's a venue for you to sell your work. Yeah, so basically if, if, you, if you have somebody who is an artist, whether you found them online or you know them in real life, and you say to them, where can I find your stuff? Etsy is probably the answer to that question. Yeah, Etsy is the main source. And then I do sell um, with other online retailers, and I'm working with a couple... Um, a couple different people, right? I don't want to say the names of these places yet before things are official, but, um, or One Kings Lane, I'm going to be working with them next month. Um, so other retailers might contact you through your, if you have a good Etsy shop, if you're a successful seller, they'll contact you and say, Hey, we want to sell your stuff. So, and it's great too, because instead of having, um, some things like in a brick and mortar store or selling a couple pots downtown, um, where maybe only a few people will see your things and you're on commission. You can have your site live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all over the world, um, all the time. And it's like, you know, 20 cents a month for each listing. So it's, yeah. you know, instead of, you and you're getting. That I think that not only cheap, it literally costs you like a quarter. A yeah. For, <laughs> yeah. For like each item I have on my site, it's like 20 cents a month. And then, you know, if I make a sale, they're not taking a giant commission like they would be. Um, at a brick and mortar store or in a gallery. So you're getting all the profit and it's really minimal work. And, um, and then, you know, other online retailers might take more of a cut or wholesaling. You're, you're obviously making a little bit less money, but more volume. But yeah, so your stuff can be out there all the time and then people are pinning it and it's getting all this exposure and all this traffic that you wouldn't get if you're selling your stuff at a craft fair. And I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, I don't know if, for me, that's not the kind of business model that works, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, whereas this is working for my Etsy shop is working for me all the time. Right. Um, and I'm getting, you know, people are reaching out, bloggers are reaching out. Um, so they're promoting your work for you. Mm-hmm. through these sites that are legitimate or have some credibility like fair goods and scout mob. Um, so they're kind of doing promotion and advertising for you. Yeah. It's really great. I feel like this is kind of an exciting time to be a business owner because of the internet, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So <laughs> you're, 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 you're not participating in a craft fair. You have your own ceramic store that is open 24-7. Yep, on Etsy. It's called Center Ceramics, by the way. Center Ceramics. Um, centerceramics.etsy.com. And then, like I said, I sell with other retailers. But the best way I would, you know, mm-hmm. I always promote my Etsy shop because that way I'm getting 100% of the profits. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's been a great venue. I would encourage people if they're doing this kind of work or if you're just starting out, it's great too because you don't have to have this really well-established um, business. You can just start out by putting a few things on there and see if they get a response. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you, lo- I love Etsy. I feel like I owe a lot of my – it's been really instrumental in my success. Yeah. Yeah, and Etsy is a thing that I, I, I'm kind of surprised these days that – some people still do ask me what Etsy is and it's like mm-hmm. Etsy I don't know I mean it's it's really it's been around for quite a while and I remember five years ago when Etsy was kind of first starting to be something that everybody talked about yeah I don't know either and I'm so kind of entrenched it's really in like... a good a really really great service and it seems like a lot of people are using it but mm-hmm. A lot more people need to be. Hopefully some some of the people listening to this might not know what Etsy is. Actually go and look at it because I bet you've actually heard the name Etsy. Yeah, check it out. Etsy is awesome. I feel like, and for vintage stuff too, like you can really find anything there. Yeah, they even sell materials Mm -hmm. for you to make your own things on Etsy. Yeah, like a lot of the stuff I have and I use in my business and my studio is our Etsy finds like... I have a vintage scale that I use to wear my clay, and my stamp that I use is um, custom-made from an Etsy seller. Um, so even more than that, you are now like part of a... So you get into Etsy, you you have something... It should be pointed out that anybody can get onto Etsy and can be trying to sell their thing, and it is yep. actually almost a good place for people who aren't really that great at their craft yet to still get a sale here and there like because some people are really out there kind of trying to look for a really odd kind of an individual thing Mm -hmm. but what has worked so well for you and what has led to many other retailers wanting to sell your work is a certain ability that you have to turn out a lot more a lot more work and a lot more uniform looking work than what most people can do. There is something about that that you have to, you can say Etsy is a good thing, but in order, you should point out, well, I yeah, you feel a I think they're funny about it, but you have to point <laughs> out that Scout Mob, what, why, why is it that you would allow another retailer like Scout Mob to sell your work, even though you would get a, you would have to pay a slightly larger commission to them? Right. Like wholesalers usually want half, they want to sell it for half price or what they're giving you is half. 
which is, that's a hard balance to kind of strike. But yeah, well, and maybe this comes back to the thing too of like, you might be wanting to sell your like handmade sweaters or scarves or whatever, but you still have to have a good product. And people kind of told me that too, like, no, you really, you could really sell this stuff. Like, this is really great. And again, I didn't have a lot of faith in myself or I thought, no, nobody's gonna, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, my mom wants it because she's my mom. You guys are my family, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I think you've got to have great photos. You've got to have a good aesthetic. You know, it's, it's, it does take some work, but, but again, though, it is a great way to kind of start out and. Um, and it's a good community too. There are other people who are going through the same thing and there's great articles about how to promote your handmade business and or vintage. And um, so it takes some work and maybe some talent and all that, like everything else, but it's, it's really been a great instrument for me. Yeah. I think that it's kind of also, I think that it's like you, almost like you've been, adopted into the big leagues kind of a thing like you were playing in the minor league and you were doing really good in the minor league and then for retailers to I mean I don't know what would be what would really be much larger is somebody I mean is there a thing where people like buy your buy your mold or something or like and then TJ Maxx is actually gonna like set their machines to the factory settings to make yeah. things like yours I and have center that, ceramics that on does it. happen I don't use molds You're... I just want to say everything I make is right I mean molds yes yeah that happens to people too you know they'll like um um there's an artist I know of that sold her design to anthropology um which is like a high-end you know, if you don't know what anthropology is, it's a high-end store that, you know, yeah, sells home goods, clothing, um, that kind of thing. They're based in Philadelphia. And they bought her design and reproduced it and sell it for, like, a lot of money. Mm. Um, which, yeah, I would be fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, but, yeah, and this is all kinds. I'm still kind of learning as I go, too. Like, mm. when I went to school, I thought that I was going to be an art educator. And then I thought maybe I'll sell stuff on my Etsy shop. And now it's like, I didn't go to business school. I don't know when like wholesalers call me and say like, send us, I'm just, I'm learning as I kind of go along, which is another reason Etsy has been great because it's a really good resource for um, like how to run your small business mm -hmm. and how to ban and finding a balance too, between like, I'm, I'm a stay at home mom. Um, finding a balance between working and figuring out how to run a business and just living my life, you mm -hmm. know? So I'm kind of just figuring all out too, and it's happening really fast. Like I said, it's only been not even a year and a half since I started my shop. So yeah, I'm like, I'm just learning to be a business owner. Really. Yeah. Well, I think that when people watch the video, one of the things that I would like to say is that Georgia is really like working her ass off. She's mm -hmm. really, there is a thing that you can, you can, you can turn up the juice on how hard you're working on things because of the encouragement and because of the opportunities that you can see. But I think that it would be important for you to try to impart on listeners that this this has turned into something far, far more than a hobby, mm -hmm. but you have to, you have to work so hard in order yeah. to maintain it. Yeah. It, more and more lately too, like it, there's, um, 
there's kind of an Etsy article feature. It's called Quit Your Day Job. And it's about people who, you know, were like, say, making handmade furniture or something or, re you know, reclaiming old items and making furniture out of it or whatever. Um, and it was, yeah, just kind of a hobby or they sold a few things here and there. And then it, it really turned into something bigger than what they had set out to do and they quit their day job and they do this full time. And when I started, it was something that I could do like 10 or 12 hours a week, kind of go down to my studio, throw a few things um, into something where like I need my daughter to be in daycare full time. Like I could be working 40 hours a week. And it's even more than that too, because I, I go to sleep thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. I spend a couple hours at night, you know, on the computer doing my computer work. And it, yeah, it's really kind of like, I'm totally absorbed in it. And it's become a quit your day job kind of scenario where like I, my day job is being a mom. And I, and that's kind of where I'm at now is like finding a balance um, between like spending time with my daughter, losing the time that I had with my daughter to have to focus on the business. Um, and with, with, you know, my husband, Pat comes home from work and sometimes he comes in the door and like has to make dinner and I go down and work. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. Figuring out how to make this all work. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's like, it's a lot of work. Um, and it's, it's a big commitment to, you know, just like, <laughs> even just like committing a portion of my house to like a full corner of the basement is just bubble wrap and boxes and Brad, you just went with me this week and we got 500 pounds of clay and yeah, like committing 300 square feet of my house to my business okay. and my time and my, you know, my daughter is at her grandma's house this weekend because I have to make 50 bowls for, you know, um, one King's lane. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, a lot of work and I think finding a balance is really important. Yeah. So I'm just figuring that out. Definitely quitting your day job to pursue your passion didn't has not is not like quit your day job and have an easier, more more free time kind yeah. of thing. No, no. It's, it's like quit your day job so time. that you can work so hard yeah. on this art form. But yeah. it is a gratifying it's, thing. It's super gratifying. Yeah. I'd rather be down there than being in an office or working in sales. My friend Gina um, was talking about that too, like just not being in customer service anymore and pursuing her art is just, she's making less money, but it just feels really good. And it's really satisfying. Um, and it is working like harder than you. You definitely like don't come home at five o'clock and leave it behind. Like I really am thinking about it all the time, but in a, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's it's a part of like how I live my life now too. Like um, being involved in Etsy and being really absorbed in that kind of community of being really a conscious consumer and thinking about the people who are spending their time and putting their energy into making these products that are they're bowls. You know, I'm making bowls. <laughs> so, but. I'm hoping that people are going to like use these and be conscious about, I spent a little bit more money to get a handmade item um, and the importance of that. And I think that we live in such kind of like a throwaway society. Everything is disposable. Um, having items in my house that are handmade or vintage, that kind of tell a story. I think that they have more 
importance. And it, it makes me, and I talk about this like in my about page or my artist statement, whatever you want to call it, that those items kind of, because they have importance, because they tell a story, they make you more mindful, more conscious. It's when you're cooking or when you're like having a cup of coffee in the morning and someone made that cup with their hands that it might make you more mindful during that experience, you know? I think that's really important. Or when I look around my house and I see like my, the vintage furniture that Pat and I found, it makes me think of where I was when I found that item or if I bought a piece of art while I was traveling, it reminds me of my travels. Um, so I think that's like a part of my statement or my brand is mm -hmm. that I, I want to be a mindful and conscious consumer and I think handmade items have integrity. So that's kind of something I've been yeah. thinking more about too, as I like become really immersed in being an artist and selling the work that I make with my hands and thinking about where it's going and yeah. And what, all, the, all that, what that all means. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that that's an important thing. People probably know that, that kind of concept and think about it a little bit, but do I always like it when people point it out. When our parents were born, the doctor sat in a wooden chair that was handmade, and there was really no other chair exactly like that. And now today, we all sit in the same chair. Every school across the country, the same exact chair, and all these chairs look exactly the same. Now, there is something about that that, I mean, maybe not necessarily a terrible thing, but it's interesting. Mm -hmm. There is something very interesting about that the change that has happened in the world there. But it feels good too, you know, when you, um, like at Christmas, we bought a lot of stuff from Etsy for each other. Um, and it, if, I don't know, it feels good. It feels better than like getting something at Target, mm -hmm. you know. And you know that you're, because it's your community and you're supporting mm -hmm. somebody else. Yeah. In your artist community. Yep, it feels good to support another artist yeah. and have their kind of labor of love or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of Etsy buys at my house. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like looking around and thinking about like the different shop owners and mm -hmm. supporting them, but also they have really great products, handmade products, you know, using handmade stuff in your life every day or being a conscious consumer. Um, I think that's kind of, that's a part of my brand. Um, they're items to be used every day. They're not like, you know, not to say that hanging stuff on the wall is, is bad, but I mean, they're, t they're meant to be used. Right. You know? Well, there you go. I think I want to thank Georgia very much for having this conversation with me. It was really enjoyable. And now we're going to stop because I'm thinking of a million more questions and this is going to turn into a three hour long interview. Yeah. And I really need to actually get back to work. Yeah. So. <laughs> Georgia has a lot of bowls to make. So in, in the near future, we will have her back and we will talk more about form and function and things like that. But thanks again, Georgia. Thanks, Brady. That was the first of what will, I'm sure, turn out to be many good conversations with Georgia. She does more things and has more, more knowledge to impart onto us. Um, I hope that you enjoyed listening to it. I hope that you learned something, and I hope that you will go and watch the video of her throwing and go check out her, her Etsy store, Center Ceramics. It's really, really amazing what she's doing, and being able to sit there and watch her make things, watch her make so many things, it's uh, very, very impressive, and you get to get a, a good good taste of that from watching her video. 
on the technical side of things, what's going on with the podcast right now and what is going to be coming in the future, a major thing is that in order to host this audio, it is going to end up costing some money in order to have it so that you can go to the iTunes store, type in on Canvas, and have every episode come up at the same time requires you to pay a, a web host for space. Right now, we have only got enough space for one episode at a time to be hosted on the actual iTunes store. So once you go and visit, you're going to see that the episode from the week before is now missing. We're going to try to get that solved as quickly as we can, but that means we have to come up with some funding ideas, some ways to raise some money. We really do not have to raise too much money, but if we could raise, say, around $300, then that would be excellent. We would be able to host this and have it taken care of for the year, and we would be able to get maybe a better uh, a microphone set up so that everybody can be talking into one microphone. There were some instances in there I know where the, the, the volume got a little bit too low or a little bit too high, and that's something that putting a little bit of money into equipment will solve that problem. So email me if you have any ideas. Email me if you have any money to give. <laughs> but that, that is what we're going to do. I think that the first thing we'll start with trying to get the money to host the rest of this on SoundCloud, and that's only $150 that we need to raise. So I'm going to get started on that. Another thing coming up is a whole lot of interesting prospects on who I'm going to get to interview on different projects. The weather is getting nicer here in Corning, New York, so things are starting up and people are thinking about uh, you know getting out there and promoting exciting events. So there's going to be some more things coming up. Again, I can't give you any hints, but I would like to come up with some way to get you excited for the next episode. And of course, just because going to the iTunes store and looking for On Canvas is only going to show you the, the most recent episode, that doesn't mean that you won't be able to have older episodes available to you to download. It just won't be as easy and convenient. They won't be in that same place. So actually look in the link section below this. We'll also have a link to older archived shows. And go back and listen to the old ones. There's a bunch of, we've already gotten three really interesting ones that I've enjoyed listening to. So definitely do not forget about any past guests. Thank you for all the support so far. And um, tell, tell your friends. People are getting more and more interested in podcasts all the time. And uh, I'm getting actually more and more into this myself. This is becoming more and more fun as I get more comfortable with it. So hit me up with any suggestions for any things to make things more interesting. And if you're somebody who I've talked to about ideas in the past, get at me again because we can actually start making some of this stuff happen. I'm feeling really positive about it. All right. I'm Brad Leiby, and thank you for listening to On Canvas.
Got my tongue, got my chin, got my neck, got my boobs, got my heart. 